Well, as most of you noticed, the band was without Jonathan, but didn't they do a great job? Didn't they do wonderful? Thank you guys for uh, leading us in worship today. You did an excellent job. Uh, some of you may miss some of the youth around, too. I think uh, some of the youth, as well as uh, some adults, have uh, gone on a ski adventure for the weekend, and uh, hopefully none come back too bruised and skin up and all those kind of things from the falls that happen on the ski course. I want to share with you a passage of Scripture now from out of Revelation. We've been in this series now, the Songs of Heaven, and this series uh, looks at various uh, songs that have been sung or are being sung in heaven by those gathered around God's throne. And today we're going to look at what is sung found in Revelation chapter 11. So hear now the word of the Lord. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. Then... The 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God singing. We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who are and who were, for you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. The kingdoms raged, but your wrath has come and the time of judging the dead for the rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and all who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. Let us pray. Father, place in our hearts a song. Lord, let us sing the songs of heaven because of our faith in Jesus Christ. Help us to join in the, with the angelic beings, with the 24 elders, and all who gather around your song, your throne, to sing your songs of glory. We make our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. About a month ago, uh, our children's director, Chrissy, uh, was teaching a lesson in the children's department on the baptism of Jesus. And as a part of that, she decided to bring the children into the sanctuary where Pastor Jacqueline and I would share with them about baptism. Well, during the conversation, we shared with the, with the students that in the United Methodist Church, we baptize by three different methods according to how one wants to be baptized, by sprinkling, pouring, and immersion. We had a great time with the kids and the interaction with them. Well, when they got back to their class, uh, one of their leaders asked his group about baptism and what they had learned. And then he asked them about if they remembered the three types or methods of baptism we use. And so one student raised a hand to give the answer. And that student said that we sprinkle. That's good, a big check mark. He said we dunk. That's close enough to immersion, and we'll put a check mark on that. And then he said, we waterboard. <laughs> I thought, man, that would be a great way to get people to repent, wouldn't he? Waterboarding, waterboarding. <laughs> well, Jesus was baptized by John in the River Jordan. I don't think it was by waterboarding, but he was baptized. And after his baptism, the Spirit came upon him and moved him to go out into the wilderness, away from people, away from civilization, where he could spend some time alone with the Father. And for 40 days and 40 nights, he spent time in retreat with God. At the end of that period of time, 
Satan came along and tempted Jesus. And in one of those temptations, Satan took Jesus up onto a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the earth. And he said to Jesus, If you will bow down and worship me, I will give you all of these. I will give you all of these. He was offering to Jesus to rule over the kingdoms of this world. Often people wonder, who is really in control anyway? Today, as our world is anxiously awaiting what might happen in uh, Eastern Europe, whether Russia will invade Who is really in control? Is it Putin? Will he give the command and an invasion will start? Is there a Western leader, maybe our president, who has enough influence to be able to stem the tide? Is there a leader maybe in Europe? Who is in control? Who is in control? Revelation chapter 11 is a passage that speaks to who is in control. And the song that was sung in heaven is a claim and proclamation that God is in control. That the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our God. I want to invite you for just a few moments to think with me about what this means and its implication for our lives and our world even today. Now, when anyone in John's day, John's the writer of the book of Revelation, anyone in John's day and a few years after John, when they would have heard these words, this phrase, kingdom of this world, they would probably have thought of the political situation in which they found themselves, they were a part of the Roman Empire. That empire stretched far and wide, and its influence was profound. One could hardly do anything without seeing and experience some kind of Roman influence in their lives. It was widespread. And in that empire, the emperor, Caesar, was considered to be supreme. He was over the entire empire. He was both feared and revered. He was a powerful dude. What he said was law. What he did was considered sacred. He was called Lord. The same word that we use and was used then for Jesus, he was called Lord. So when they heard that the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our God, they would have thought Rome. 
And they would have rejoiced because by this point in their lives and in their lives of faith, Rome had begun to try to snuff out this new religious movement. Persecution was taking place, and the thought of the kingdom world becoming the kingdom of their God was profound. Now, there were others who may have had a little different take on this phrase, kingdom of the world. They may have remembered some of the words of Jesus. Jesus had said this about the kingdom of this world. He said, it now is judgment of this world. The ruler or the king of this world will be driven out. John, the gospel writer said a little bit more about this, and he said, the whole world now lies under the power of the evil one. So this kingdom of the world, controlled by the evil one, controlled by Satan, controlled by the devil. And when people heard the kingdom of this world, some thought of that kingdom. When Satan was tempting Jesus and what I just told you about, he makes the claim that the kingdoms of this world are under his control and he has the ability and authority to give and transfer political power to those who submit to him. Now, all of us in our lives have seen and been influenced by the power of evil that is in our world. We have seen the, the, the violence and the greed and the, the brokenness and the broken relationships and the cruelty and the selfishness and people being controlled by lust and their desires. We, we have seen how the power of evil in this world so influences us and touches our lives Every day, we have seen people who have been so impacted and broken by the powers of evil and the control of this world. We, we, we know what it's like. And so to hear the words, the kingdom of this world have become the kingdom of our God is great news. Now, if you are one who studies the book of Revelation, you will find that there is another kingdom alluded to in the book of Revelation. It is called Babylon. Now, it's not the ancient Babylon like we find in the Old Testament, but it's a, a symbol, and that symbol Babylon is, is a name for uh, the, the, the world system of economics and culture. We see in our world how that, that kingdom has so much power around and among us. That that economic and cultural kingdom influences so much of our world and how people think. People wanting to have and to possess and doing nearly anything to do so. That becomes their primary motivator in life. People wanting to control their own destiny. The quest for luxuries in this economic system can just overwhelm people. Paul also knew something of that particular kingdom when he wrote in the book of Romans. 
He wrote about people who were part of that kingdom, and he said, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. In Babylon's kingdom, people want to place themselves in the role of God rather than God having authority over them. Now, if you read through the book of Revelation, you see that Babylon comes crashing down and is destroyed. And so whether it is a political reality like Rome, an oppressive government even in our day and time, or whether it's Satan's kingdom, or whether it's Babylon, the world's economic and cultural system that leads people away from God to self-dependence, the song in heaven proclaims, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our God. That is really and truly great news. Amen? That's great news. This kingdom and this announcement by those around the throne, this, when the seventh trumpet sounds, in the book of Revelation, you, kinda, you find all these numbers of things happening. You've got seven seals, and you have seven trumpets, and you have three bowls of wrath, and you have all these kind of things. And with each occurrence, something else happens. And, and here the seventh trumpet sounds, and when it sounds, there is this megaphonic voice heard in heaven. It doesn't really tell us who's speaking it, who's saying it, what group is proclaiming it, but but this megaphonic voice proclaims, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. That news was welcomed by John's original audience and should be welcomed by every Christian audience that has heard it ever since. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our God. And that announcement, that announcement is really a two-sided coin. You see, on one side of that coin is our hope of what lies ahead. God's ultimate reign will be established no longer will the tyranny of earthly governments, the consequences of foolish decisions made by politicians, the corruption that we see, no longer will the evil one control and destroy people's lives, no longer will Babylon's influence control what we do and how we care for one another, but God will reign supreme. His sovereignty will be known throughout this globe. The kingdom of this world is God's. That is our hope. We live with the hope that what is now isn't all there will be. And what will be is God will reign supreme. The lover of your soul, the lover of my soul, the lover of every human soul will work so that we will experience life in the fullness in his kingdom. Love Peace, grace, righteousness, and justice will be the very air that we breathe together as God reigns supreme. The kingdom of the world 
has become the kingdom of our God. Now, Pastor Jacqueline, I believe if I were with some of your sisters and brothers, they'd say amen and hallelujah, don't you? Amen. 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 That's good news. But there's another side of that coin. For you see, in the very language of this proclamation, the word translated has become could easily and as rightly be translated is. In other words, the kingdom of this world is the kingdom of our God and his Messiah. It is not just a future reality. It is a present reality. God is the supreme ruler of all. That's right theologically and biblically. You see, God is supreme now. God is in control. Now, there may be a lot of things happening. There may be a lot of conflict. There may be a lot of division. There may be a lot of stuff happening that, that really disrupts us and bothers us. But God is still supreme. Even if the worst imaginable scenario happens in Eastern Europe and Russia does invade Ukraine, and that spurs a war that not only engulfs Eastern Europe, begins to engulf Europe and even the rest of the world. Know this, God is still supreme. God is still the king over his creation. Putin and all the other leaders and all the other generals and all the other armies and everything else, they will pass away, but God remains forever. God is supreme. This is his kingdom. The psalmist understood that and wrote in Psalm 2, he wrote, Why do the nations conspire and people plot in vain? The kings of the earth, they set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and God's anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds asunder and cast their cords from us. But God sits in heaven and laughs. The Lord has them in derision. God laughs at our efforts because God is supreme. God's reign is over the kingdom of this world. If that doesn't excite you, you're dead. That's exciting stuff. That is really exciting stuff. One of the most powerful emperors to live on earth, of course, has now long gone. He was Nebuchadnezzar who ruled the empire known as Babylon. In its day, its vast spread was enormous. Its influence was unimaginable. Its power, its military might was unequaled. And that great emperor said this, How great are God's signs, how mighty God's wonders, his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his sovereignty is from generation to generation. We need to be reminded that our God is sovereign. The powers of this world, 
the evils that we may encounter have never wrestled away God's supreme reign. While battles may be waged for the souls of human beings, while systems may collapse, while situations may deteriorate, while it may look dark and dreary, remember, God reigns supreme. And even now, God is the sovereign over all creation. Whatever you may face personally, whatever situations you may encounter, God is with you. God has not abandoned you. God is present in our world. The kingdom of this world is the kingdom of our God. When the 24 elders heard the proclamation, that megaphonic voice up in heaven, when they heard the words being proclaimed that the kingdom of this world is the kingdom of our God and our Messiah, they began to sing. You know, that's the way it is. When we hear good news, something bubbles up in our soul and we can't keep it in. And they began to proclaim about God who is the supreme one and their minds began to focus on one of the attributes of the divine king and that the divine king is the judge. And they said, now is the time to judge the dead. Now, oftentimes for us when we talk about judgment, it kind of touches our theological sensitivities in a way, and we really don't like to think thing and talk about it and to think about God's wrath and those kind of things. And, and we want to maybe keep it, uh, you know, our, at, at arm's length. I'm thankful for a theologian and pastor by the name of N.T. Wright who has given some language that has helped me in thinking about judgment. He says, you know, it's not that God wants to punish That's not what judgment is about. But judgment is that God wants to set all things right. That's the privilege of the king, by the way, to set all things right. And Inti talks about God is going to sort all things out. You know, it's like when, as a parent, you know, you have uh, to your children... Uh, fighting with each other. and you, You want to kind of sort it out and figure out what's going on. And God's got it figured out. And God's going to make it right. And the 24 elders proclaimed that God's judgment of the dead, there's going to be a reward and there's going to be a consequence. The consequence that comes is the consequence of how people have lived and how they've behaved. For it says, those who destroy the earth will be destroyed. And we even see that in our own lives. How that when we mistreat this planet that we are on, we reap the consequences of that abuse of God's creation. That word also to destroy can be translated as corrupt. There are those folks who have corrupted themselves, just like I mentioned in Romans, where where Paul in Romans 1 talks about how that people have exchanged the glory of the Creator for the glory of creation, and they've wanted themselves to be God, and they've suffered the consequence of being away from God. But then there's a reward. A reward for the prophets and the saints, the preacher and the person in the pew, a person who is a giant of the faith and a person who is a mouse in the faith. God's reward of his great love.
1741, a composer set out with a task to write a composition for Easter. For 24 days and night, he wrote nearly without ceasing, hardly spending time to eat. At the end of his work, he had completed one of the greatest musical compositions that our world has known. This composer, Handel, the peace, the Messiah. During his work, he said this, I saw the great God himself on his throne and all of his company of angels. One of the greatest movements in the Messiah is the Hallelujah Chorus. And every time I hear it, I see what Handel saw. God on his throne. God on his throne. Let us worship this king, the king of glory, the king who reigns over all the earth. Amen.